Hello, and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole. This is your destination for interviews with the finalists and winners of our annual prizes. On this episode, I talked to Nancy Vo, author and illustrator of The Ranger. The Ranger is a finalist for the Christy Harris Illustrated Children's Literature Prize. Nancy is an author and illustrator based here on the West Coast, and The Ranger is her second book in the Crow Stories trilogy. As a child, Nancy enjoyed stories featuring brave characters like the ones we see in The Ranger, but later realized she was far less adventuresome and preferred her creature comforts. By day, Nancy works as a facility planner, and at night she gets to create amazing worlds and characters. The Ranger is a story of exploration and unexpected friendships. The illustrations create these expansive and sparse scenes where readers get lost and wander with The Ranger. Here's my conversation with Nancy Vo. I was wondering if you could start off by just describing the story of the Ranger. Sure, I can. Um, so the Ranger is the second book in the trilogy that I'm working on with Groundwood, and it's called the Crow Stories trilogy. The first book I did was called The Outlaw, and the Ranger it was kind of like a story waiting in the wings. Like it was almost ready to go. Cause I was, um, the inspiration for the outlaw was pretty much, do you know, Patrick DeWitt? Yeah. Yeah. Sisters brothers. So I loved that story. And, um, at the end of the story, Eli is, is going to change. He's going to be a changed man. And so my thought was like, what would that be like? Cause you're, kind of notorious <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then I was also watching True Grit and I watched it over like three times on the airplane and I remember my daughter turning to me and saying like uh what part didn't you get the first time <laughs> 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 so um Maddie Ross is pretty much kind of the trigger for uh Annie and the Fox and the Ranger so, but it's kind of like if she had an alternate life and didn't, you know, wasn't on a vengeful uh, quest to uh, avenge her father, then this is where she might be. She might be a ranger on her own in, in this part of the world. <laughs> yeah. I it I wondered, wondered if you could talk a little bit more about Annie too, because I I kind of got parallels for um, like Anne of Green Gables and Pippi Longstocking too with Annie. She kind of seemed like this really amazing composite character of all these great female characters that I've seen in books, just like Maddie Ross as well. Yeah. Yeah. And Oh, I, I guess that's, um, there, there probably are other influences. Cause if I think back to the stories I read when I was younger, yeah. Anna Green Gables was right up there. There was another book I read kind of around the same time, six guns, snow white. I also liked her character. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, she's probably a composite of more than just Maddie Ross, but just somebody who, um, I guess you could say is a bit iconoclastic because the setting where she was, she was in the South and um, she just didn't really follow any conventions. And I thought, wow, what a brave character for Charles Portis to write. And so I kind of wanted to create that sort of a, a, a version of um, Annie. And um 
it's funny you should mention Anna Green Gables because when I was doing the thumbnails, we were out in the East Coast, like on the Cabot Trail and PEI and Nova Scotia. So there might have been some of that channeling too. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it was the long red braids, but I it was I thought immediately of Anne of Green Gables, but I read those books so many times as a kid. So yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Going back to the the Crow trilogy, could you talk a little bit about um, the trilogy and how this fits in those stories? Yeah, um, so when Sheila Berry and I decided, okay, yeah, let's turn this into a trilogy, I really didn't have um, preconceived ideas of what the three stories would be exactly. I had sent the outlaw into her slush pile, and it wasn't really even thinking about it as a trilogy. It was kind of, here, here's my, here's my, um, my art, what do you think, <laughs> and my story, and uh because Annie was came so readily, I thought, oh, well, let's throw in a third one as well. And I still actually don't know what the third one is going to be. And the, I guess the thing that ties them together is you could say they're Westerns, maybe. They kind of have that kind of Western theme. And uh, I do, when I start a story, I always find that my way in is I do research. And kind of once I know the lay of the land, I'm much more comfortable starting the drawings. Like with the outlaw, it was really easy because I just picked um, uh, Eli uh, and Charlie's setting of uh, 1850s Oregon. And then Maddie Ross was kind of like 1870s Arkansas and Oklahoma. And uh, that was a very different time because it's post-Civil War and kind of reconstruction. So yeah, that was kind of my way in and I, I don't know what the third story will be, but it's probably going to be somewhat in in that same time period. What do you think it is about the Western theme that that intrigues you? Hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> My parents used to watch all of Clint Eastwood's old, you know, spaghetti westerns. We had the soundtrack playing when I was growing up. <laughs> um, they're all like under 200 words and I kind of like that economy with words and kind of not writing too much because I remember um, when the editor was going through my script she was saying like yeah you, you don't have a lot of words so you can't really mess around <laughs> each word has to be right so um, yeah I think that's part of it uh, and I, I also like other writers like Elmer Leonard's writing has that kind of same feel like the characters you can almost see them smoldering when they don't say anything <laughs> and, and so maybe maybe part of that's attractive to me yeah I mean it, we talked about this a little bit in our emails back and forth with picture books and the struggle it is on on the podcast to have an author like yourself read the book without the pictures because this one I don't think it could be a story without your illustrations. Those pictures are so essential to tell the story. Was it the illustrations that came first or the, or the writing or did they go hand in hand? This time I, I did it with the writing first. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, but, but a lot of the evolution of the illustrations came kind of after, even after the thumbnails, because I wasn't ha always happy necessarily with the way it resolved. Because the thing with the words and the pictures is that you have that opportunity to 
make them say things kind of differently, but connect it somehow. Like um, the spread where it's kind of, it kind of looks like the cover where you see Annie and the fox in silhouette and she's got a stick trying to take him from the trap. That was not the original uh, illustration. And the, the original illustration was much more um, like what was what the text was saying where she's, you literally see her just taking apart the trap and it's close up with the fox. But I, I thought, well, that's too close to some of the other images. And then I, I was, um, I don't know when, but sometimes your inspiration just kind of comes out of nowhere. And it was a Coen Brothers film again. I hadn't, hadn't seen it, but I remember the movie poster. It was called Miller's Crossing. And it was the feeling that it had given me because there's a picture of a man on his knees in the woods and he's begging for his life and there's another man holding a gun. <laughs> so, and, and it's kind of set at, you know, kind of below your eye level. So you kind of even feel even more tension. So, so that was kind of how I solved it. And I was so happy. I was like, yes, this is the, this is kind of what I need it here. I don't need the close up shot. And um, the illustrations, you, you have that chance to kind of go back and modify things because um, being the writer and the illustrator kind of gives you a little bit of that freedom. So um, like that wordless spread, I kind of knew I wanted that because I just needed a little bit of quiet in between going from that to being attacked by a bear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask about um, the the playing with nuance and space. It's something I love so much in in picture books is when um, they kind of leave an opportunity for the parent and the child or the child to just kind of sit with the image and kind of take it all in. And I wondered how you struck that balance between text and just having those beautiful spreads. One of my favorites is the one, the overhead shot of Annie and, and the fox walking through the trees. It's just such a gorgeous illustration. Yeah, I think it might go back to that, like knowing your landscape. So um, I, thank goodness for Google Earth. Because <laughs> <laughs> I took a lot of like side trips going through uh, where I thought she might have ended up like and it was the Wachita national forest and so I just kind of took trips and would would look at some of the trails she might have walked across or trying to get the flora and the fauna right uh, so it was like well okay are there bears there yeah yeah there are bears so <laughs> so that kind of helped make the story more I don't know I gave I gave it a mood I guess so and then also when I'm doing research I'll find some articles like in this case there was like I had to learn how to draw a trap so finding ads like from from that time period where they talk about this different size of traps and what they look like yeah I, I think all of that kind of layers and adds to to how how I make the pictures later yeah and how did you strike that balance between having you know because your, your editor, I think you mentioned, said that there wasn't a lot of text to play with. How do you find that balance between the text and the, in the illustrations? Yeah, I don't know if I can, like if I have a formula for that, it's just kind of my style of writing. I don't write with a lot of words. 
I remember a pen pal had said to me once, like, um, can you make your letters just a bit longer? <laughs> like maybe, like maybe in grade two or three or whatever it was, when your teacher assigns you that. <laughs> Fine, write to your pen pal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess it's just kind of my, just maybe part of who I am as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's so it's so nice to have the the pictures do a lot of the work because then you do leave more room for interpretation. Yeah, I was going to say that I, I think it's um, especially in picture books, I think it's an important thing to do because it it lets kids imagine a little more and fill in the gaps themselves. Um, and you just kind of suggest with a few words and, and a beautiful illustration. Oh, thank you. The fox surprisingly there's an image of a fox and it's sitting by the fire and that seems to be the favorite and it was so because I, I never thought of it in the same terms because for me it was more like my favorite spread was the the one of Annie and the fox in the woods the one I described where it's kind of below your eye level because for me it was like the problem solving part of that and yes I, I got it <laughs> but for the audience and I, I'll get pictures from kids. They really love the fox, and I, I had to look at it again. And um, I think it might be the eyes. You know, like the the eyes look straight at you, <laughs> yeah. almost like in a daring way. And then, and that I guess part of that is something is un, that's surprising uh, and a nice surprise at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask about the illustrations and uh, and how you created them, more the artistic process, I guess, because I noticed what looked like um, like text almost, like a newsprint kind of text in some areas. Maybe I wasn't sure how you layered all everything. Do you work digitally or is it, you know, very analog? It's pretty analog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of came uh, maybe five years too late for the for learning how to do uh, digital <laughs> drawing. Um, but it's watercolor mostly and the text that you're seeing uh, on top of it, uh, uh, the research I'll have used, like it could be a newsprint article or it could be that advert about the traps. I just take that piece of paper, flip it over and do what they call an acetone transfer. So then you kind of get a bit of the, that flavor. And I try to follow a certain rule, like don't make it too um obvious but kind of use it as a way of making shadows or yeah yeah it's a really interesting technique because it's quite subtle I don't think you would even like if it, if you're holding it up and reading it to a, a classroom they probably wouldn't even notice but up close it's it's really neat oh thank you <laughs> <laughs> and this time I remember using uh I don't know why like sometimes I, I just do things and then I try to make a, a rule for it but the kids notice it right away they don't miss a thing so uh, one kid in the audience said something like oh I noticed the fox always has lines coming from its foot where it's injured foot and uh, yeah they, they pick up on stuff <laughs> yeah do you use your your own kids as kind of a test audience for your books not as test audience. You get to be things like hand models. <laughs> hand models or, oh, can you just lie down as if you're in the woods? <laughs> and you're just waking up. <laughs> what do they think of that? 
Oh, they'll, they'll humor me. <laughs> they'll, they'll look at one another and say, okay, your turn. <laughs> your turn to be mom's prop today. <laughs> I'm curious about the, the response. You mentioned that the kids pick up on uh, the fox. And what's, the, what's your experience been like with these books? You said you kind of sent it in kind of almost as an experiment to a slush pile. How has it been to see these books develop and ha kind of have their own life in the world? Oh, that's been, yeah, that's been interesting. Yeah, they're no longer really just yours. Once they're out there, it's, there's going to be interpretations. And I guess I just have to be okay with that. <laughs> um, the Outlaw was funny because there was no expectation for that one. It was my very first book. And, you know, you just kind of send it in thinking, yeah, that'd be great if it got published. Uh, but there was no deadline. There was no process. And then, you know, in hindsight, I realized I did it all wrong. <laughs> I sent in like completely finished drawings. Whereas with the Ranger, I, I did go through the process of, okay, here's, here's a manuscript. What do you think? And uh, here's, here's thumbnails. What do you think? And get feedback. And, uh, and then turning it into kind of a, black and white dummy with a couple of finished illustrations and then finished illustrations. So then it was a much more, um, I, I feel like the ranger went through, went through a proper process and it made it easier. <laughs> I'm not pulling my hair out. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to like, oh, I wonder how you do that. <laughs> What's it been like to share the book with, with kids and classrooms and, and an audience? Well, that's been fun too. Um, it's always it's always interesting the kind of questions that I'll get, and they're completely out of left field. Like one time, uh, for the outlaw, for instance, I've I've had I remember one kid saying like, "Wow, you know when he became a good guy, he put on a bit of weight." <laughs> and I thought like, "Oh, I don't know. Like, did I do that subconsciously?" <laughs> Because it certainly wasn't planned. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I like having the audience there to kind of gauge how they feel about certain characters. It's like, like I said about the fox being kind of so unexpected as kind of um, uh, a main character in some ways. And Annie, because uh, I, I started out with Annie and it wasn't, and the fox is just kind of going to be, be her side traveling companion and friend. But I think the kids are drawn to the fox right away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny because I, I was calling, I, when I was making my notes, I had I named the fox Kit because that's what you name the fox at the end. But um, was there a decision to leave the fox unnamed until the end? I think so. Yeah. yeah there, was a, there was some decision, like even at the beginning, not revealing that the ranger is a girl right off the yeah. bat. Yeah. So we were careful in our uh, introduction of the story not to gender it right away because I, you know, I remember like when I was doing my research, there were no, there weren't very many examples of female rangers, and I wanted, I wanted it to be that kind of nice surprise for the reader, and and then also the name Kit was kind of like I was thinking, okay, um, the Japanese have this mythology about the kitsune and 
I, I managed to sneak it in because at first the the publisher wasn't sure. It was like, yeah, maybe leave out the you know the mystical elements here. It's like, no, I think I can do it, you know, in a subtle way that's not going to throw it off from being a Western. Thanks so much to Nancy for being on the podcast, and thanks as always to you, our lovely listeners, for listening to the podcast and subscribing to the podcast and talking about the podcast. We love sharing this with you and we always love hearing your feedback too. If you want to learn more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, don't forget to visit our website. You'll find our gala video there, along with information about all of this year's winners and finalists. If you want to stay in the loop about all things BC and Yukon Book Prizes, don't forget to follow us on the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Next time on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Stephen Price, whose book, Lampedusa, is the winner of the Ethel Wilson Fiction Prize. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.